There it is. All right. Welcome. Welcome back, everybody. Last one for this week. And today we are going to dive deep into polyamory and the law. So uh, lots of fun stuff to talk about. And as always, we're going to have a good time. So tune in. Practicing polyamory. Real life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory. The mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life, flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. All right, here we go. Welcome, 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 everybody, to this beautiful Wednesday. Before we jump in and chat with our awesome guests, I want to quickly remind everybody to please follow the show on all social media at Practicing Polyay, wherever it is that you find us, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, Ice, uh, Instagram, you know, all that good stuff. And if you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or any other podcast app, please subscribe, leave a review wherever it is that you download the show. Uh, also, if you would like to support the show, please send me a DM on whatever your favorite social media is. I would love to talk to you about your malpractice or errors in emissions insurance. I'm an insurance guy. That's what I do. That's how I make my money. So if you want to give me uh, you know, a little, little help here, uh, that would be awesome. Reach out to me. And as always, last thing, I want to remind everybody, if you are listening to this show, you are a welcome guest. If you're actively polyamorous, polyam curious, or a professional serving the polyamorous community, I want to hear your story. If you're disabled, BIPOC, pan, bi, demi, gay, straight, sex worker, kingster, queer, lesbian, trans, NB, ace, arrow, whatever it is, I want to hear your story. The more stories we hear, the more the world learns about us, the more representation we have, and the better we can serve our community. All right, that's my spiel every day. As always, let's get on with the best part of the show, introducing our guests. Today's guest, Understand that, especially for us polyam folks, each family is unique and our legal advice should be too. They pride themselves in being dedicated people for people in non-traditional relationships and they provide close experience guidance for polyfuels purchasing property, divorcing, or whatever other legal advice they might need. Now, here's the thing. Family law, estate planning, and guardianships are things that everyone should plan, plan for. But especially for us polyam folks, the fact is that our society is not designed to encourage our kinds of relationships and our laws don't take us into consideration. As a result, we need to be even more proactive than our monogamous counterparts, communicate openly, and plan ahead to protect ourselves and our families ahead of time because very likely there won't be any protections on the back end. I'm super excited to take a deep dive into polyamory and the law with these two awesome guests. Joining us today from Mastanudo, Mastan, did I say that right? Mastanduno. Mastanduno, thank you very much. Law Group out of Portland, Oregon. Welcome to the show, Nate Jones and Steve Mastanduno. <laughs> All right, I bet you didn't know you were going to dance on the show, huh? I, I didn't dance, but yeah. I, <laughs> I wish that was the intro that played when I came into court every time, you know? You know, you can, you can record it and, and put, you know, put it on your phone or something, have your, your little Bose boombox and like walk into the courtroom and be like, what's up, Your Honor, you know? <laughs> yeah, that would go really well. I, I'm going to start doing that from henceforth. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. 
You're this, welcome. I hope the clients really expect that. <laughs> <laughs> you would think so. I hope so. You know, if if you're gonna have these awesome clients and you know have a little fun, then break the ice and they trust you that much more, right? I guess maybe. I don't know. Could be. <laughs> let's hope let's hope well first of all nate and steven thank you both so much for spending a little bit of time with me today um first of all i just kind of want to hear your backstory uh where did you two meet how did you two meet and why did you uh begin this law group together yeah so uh we both went to the same law school together um and i was a year ahead of him uh we were friends in school and then as we both became lawyers, uh, we were roommates and we both had similar objectives. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, we wanted to open a business together and um, uh, it, we kind of fell into the practice in that way. It was sort mm -hmm. of right place, right time, close friends kind of thing. Yeah, yes. and, and it was definitely a, uh, an area of law, family law generally, that, that there was a lot of uh, opportunity for people who uh, right out of law school without a huge amount of experience initially uh, that really opened up the opportunity for us to learn it quickly, become good at it, and uh, not need to worry too much about the business itself since we could immediately really jump in and start working. Right. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. That makes sense. So the other part of it is you chose family law, but from the research that I was able to do with uh, on you guys – you specialize or you really want to focus on people in non-traditional families, people in that practice polyamory or any kind of non-monogamy or, you know, anything along those lines. What was it that inspired that decision, that business decision? Hmm. I think probably the largest part of it was seeing that there was a need in the community, uh, something that wasn't necessarily being catered to by most law firms. Uh, and so um, partly in self-service and partly in wanting to provide for that community, we, uh, we decided that uh, we would market ourselves that way and really put ourselves out there. And the reaction we've gotten has been very positive. We've, uh, yeah. we've had a lot of uh, poly people, people in um, various other uh, non-traditional relationships uh, who've come to us and uh, we've been really happy with the ability to um, take on these more unique challenges that mm -hmm. uh, these relationships present. Um, because when you look at the law, it is really based around uh, a two-person, predominantly heterosexual couple that is uh, going to essentially share all of their property and everything. And when they get divorced, they're going to separate all that but they're still going to have all of these ways that they're bound together, but they can get that separation. They can get that clean cut from the mm -hmm. law. Well, with other relationships, ones that are maybe informal, uh, um, informal uh, cohabitation agreements where nevertheless there are property and potentially children involved to polyamorous uh, situations where you might have two people married, but then one plus people involved as well. Uh, and, and deep relationships that all of the parties involved have with children and with the property that they share. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and let me add, um, so my uh, life partner um, is, her name is Emily, 
She's uh, uh, currently starting to open her own marriage and family therapy practice. At the time, a couple of years ago, she uh, was taking a class as a part of her coursework for her LMFT at Lewis and Clark uh, College here in Portland. And she had a she took a class on polyamory with uh, a man named Justin Rock, um, who uh, is uh, a lovely educator there. Um, and he, through my partner, reached out to us about wanting us to come and do a presentation about some of the intersections of family law as it relates to polyamory. Mm -hmm. And it was right around the same time that Stephen and I had figured out um, that somehow in Portland, Oregon, where people, uh, as they say, keep it weird, we're not <laughs> representing um, this uh, group of people. Um, you, if you Google like Portland, Oregon, polyamory family law, nothing came up, nothing. And I think that Portland has one of the higher polyamory uh, communities in America or one mm -hmm. of the larger, more uh, open about it. And I, I just found that strange. And so through developing um, a, a presentation um, for that uh, uh, polyamory class at Lewis and Clark and uh, corresponding with the professor, Justin Rock, we realized that there are actually tons of people here who uh, don't feel represented and don't feel capable or like comfortable reaching out to an attorney because they might get, you know, a stuffier answer about um, like mm -hmm, what mm -hmm. is supposed to look like. So uh, yeah. those two things kind of came in tandem with each other. Mm -hmm. I love it. And you guys just kind of had that inspiration. It was like this light bulb, like, oh, wow, there's this whole entire community that is not being served. And you're the first ones to jump into it, at least uh, in Portland, and and get that get that ball rolling. That's really cool. Um, what are some of the things like if you if you look back at at your casework, and obviously you know don't get into specifics or anything, protect your clients, all that good stuff. But what are some of the major issues that you're seeing uh, within the polyamorous community, like? you know, maybe through a divorce, you know, or, or a breakup, as you were talking about somebody who is not necessarily legally protected through, through a marriage, but you know, they have a house and kids together with multiple people. How, how are, how does that get split up? Like what happens in that case? Well, there's a lot of levels of that question, but, but to kind of take that, that last prompt there as, as, as a way to enter into it, um, property probably is the biggest uh, issue when it comes to the dissolution of a polyamorous relationship. Often because, like I mentioned earlier, uh, you may have an, you may not all just be uh, legally single people. There may be a married couple involved. There may be uh, two married couples involved. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the reason property tends to be the biggest problem is because people don't really plan. Right. Um, people will, uh, for example, one person will already have a house. Everybody moves in, they'll live together for 10 years and uh, they will put in all kinds of sweat equity into it. They'll pay on the mortgage. They'll, mm -hmm. they'll effectively have been owners for the past 10 years, but legally speaking, if they break up, the people who are not on the title are not going to have any legal rights to that property, 
right. even right. in a equitable sense, which is to say a court coming in and saying, in acknowledgement of what has gone on here, this is the fair way to do it. Because procedures like that just aren't available. And they are in in monogamous relationships, right? I mean, if I was in just a relationship with somebody uh, for 10 years and I was monogamous with that person, that person came in and lived with me in my home that I owned, you know, I, I, I think like I can do a domestic partnership or something along those lines. And that person would have legal protections, but it doesn't extend beyond that one person. It, it can, um, but more it's um, the law is looking for the two parties to divide up. And, and it is uh, it rarely is it going, it, you would have to be convincing to convince a, a court that, that there were, uh, that you, although not, you know, on the property, but had lived there for some extent of time and were a part of the ownership somehow were, were deserving of that mm -hmm. um, broadly. And, uh, you know, this is, this is still a very new concept long right. slowly. And so they are just now in this place only starting to consider how that uh, rolls out mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, go ahead. Yeah, something we have in Oregon that's a procedure that's available to couples mm -hmm. is called an uh, dissolution of an informal domestic uh, partnership. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, that is not something that's in the law of Oregon, but is actually a piece of common law, which is to say it was made up by a judge. Got it. Um, and that is very particular and really only applies still to a couple. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a couple in Oregon, exactly. Right. And so now if you're talking about three people, suddenly you're removed from that procedure that's already removed from what the law actually, actually says. Because when we're talking about the law, we're talking very, very black and white, right? Like there are no exceptions to the rule. You know, when there's a precedent set, like that is, that is what we follow. And you're like, to take your example, what you're saying, this is for a couple. So the moment that we take a third person into this, that couple is dissolved and the law that was written, that specific law no longer applies. In, in fact, it's even more than that because if there is uh, three people involved there, then not even two of them could really have their property dissolved by this mechanism you would have essentially a civil suit at that point. You'd be removed mm -hmm. from uh, the family law context and you'd get into, uh, say, the partition of property where you'd actually be suing a property owner uh, on behalf of yourself for your equitable share of this property uh, going through an entirely different procedure right. that's going to be more demanding and not really built at all, much like the family law system, for handling that kind of conflict. Yeah, it's it's just such a huge uh, void where the law uh, um, doesn't conform to what people are actually doing to some extent. Mm -hmm. like, it, we are getting to a place in humanity where we're not necessarily just having relationships between two people, but th those are uh, the the couple notion is not nearly as um, 
uh, the only option anymore. But but the law really just it, it's so not mainstream still to some extent that that the laws aren't they don't feel like they have to address it because there's not necessarily from their perspective, from lawmakers and, and courts' perspective, not enough people asking for it. And sure. right, and, and you know, I feel like that's in part because maybe the people don't feel like they can ask for it or, or, or are, are afraid to be, mm-hmm. um, you know, outed in that way. Yeah, mm-hmm. how many people are willing to contact their legislators and say, I'm in this situation, this affects me and many people like me. Please change the law. People aren't trying to be activists. They're just trying to live their lives. You know what I mean? That's the word. That's the word right there. Uh, It's come up a couple of times, um, a few times in the past week or two that I've been uh, interviewing guests is this activism. And I'm not... I guess I am like, I'm calling for people, you know, anybody listening, like let's start putting these things together because there, there has to be, if we want to see any change, we have to start asking for it. And you guys are are saying that, you know, there aren't a lot of people asking for it when it comes down to it, you know, the admitted, the, the, uh, the polyamorous or non-monogamous community that admits to it is still only like four or five percent of the population from from what i've read uh is that enough to start to make some kind of a change well i would say that if if those numbers are accurate four to five percent yes um that that would represent a significant voting block um and i think particularly when we consider that family law is a uh, local jurisdictional issue, not mm-hmm. a national issue, um, that when you're talking about that percentage of the population, talking to your local legislature who represents your community and your interests, uh, then I think that being more vocal and expressing in that sort of proportion of the population could be effective. Right. We, um, so uh, family law is kind of a nebulous word that means a lot of different things. Um, and so classic divorce, custody of children, um, paternity, but things also in, from my perspective also includes more of like a broader wholer family of like, what are you supposed to do when you're going to die? How do you plan mm-hmm. for your estate? And something that, um, you know, in our experience, I would say is that the polyamorous community is very good at planning and scheduling, right? A lot of scheduling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we get a lot of people because there is such an awareness within the community that the laws don't serve them, um, th- that they that they try to work around it. And so I feel like a lot of what we do is helping that community work around some of those failings uh, of the of the system. So you know, if me, Steven, and our third partner are going to buy a home together. How do we do that? And, and, mm-hmm. and I feel like we get a lot of very proactive clients who are trying to figure out how the three or four of them uh, take on property or take on parental roles because they want to make this more official. But, um, you know, it, we get a lot of that, and that is more of the upbeat, hopeful kind that we get mm-hmm. to practice because otherwise it is um, – 
Less hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that that that's perfect because that kind of leads into the next thing that I wanted to talk about. So we we've been talking about all of the ways that the law isn't necessarily on our side. Mm-hmm. So as we're planning, as we're talking about, you know, it, when we're getting serious with our partners and and talking about spending our lives together and and buying property together and you know all these different things. How do we protect ourselves? What kinds of documents? What kinds of, I don't know, do we have to like start creating trusts? Um, what what kinds of things can we do to protect ourselves as we're taking these major life milestones? Yeah. Well, the law really honors contracts. And so it doesn't really matter if who you are the contract within the legal community is very, uh, it's keen. It's respected. Mm-hmm. It's a respected, it's yeah. a respected uh, format for uh, ordering of things. And so um, creating an agreement of some form uh, that, that dictates how certain, and I'm speaking very broadly, but how mm-hmm. certain pieces of property are owned, uh, like the trust that you were mentioning, um, which is in essence a kind of agreement that dictates how a certain thing is administered and, and owned and what happens when this happens with it and so on. Um, those are the ways uh, in which uh, uh, the polyam community can protect themselves is through the power of contract. And actually trusts particularly are, are a very valuable tool. And the reason for that is uh, much like a corporation, a trust is considered an independent legal entity. It mm-hmm. is essentially a person. Right. So when we, uh, and it's also exceptionally customizable. So you can have any number of people involved in a trust as beneficiaries. You can have any number of people managing a trust as trustees. Um, but the most valuable part of it is this separate legal entity can contain terms about what happens when somebody leaves this legal entity. What happens when somebody joins into it? Mm-hmm. Um, what it can set out what people's rights to specific pieces of property are going to be, uh, whether it can set a timeline for whether you become vested in certain property. Um, and, and that's really the joy of trust. They are so customizable and so flexible uh, if written properly and, and with uh, these kinds of relationships in mind that they can essentially take care of the entire property side of what would become a divorce because Mm -hmm. instead of ultimately going before a judge and having a judge say, here's what you get. uh, In this case, you've already written that document. It already says what you get. You don't need to involve the exterior law. You just need to involve this one contract. Yep. Right. Right. So that, that works really well for property. If a polycule is going to buy property together or or anything along those lines. Um, Some of the other things that we talked about was estate planning. I guess that kind of falls in that same line, Uh, but let's say uh, guardianships. Um, I don't know what the law is in Oregon. I know that there are some places that like the married couple are the only ones that can be on a birth certificate so like that's one thing uh but then you know again speaking to your experience in oregon so for anybody listening you know if if you're not in oregon this may or may not apply but we'll we'll talk as generally as possible here um 
when it comes to guardianships, when it comes to uh, custody of children in a polycule, um, are there protections? Are there contracts that can be written to protect, you know, the members of that polycule and and the children as they're being brought up? If anything were to happen, you know, if if the biological parents were to die do we have the contract saying that you know this third person in our polycule can take over as the parent i think all of that together is probably a couple contracts but um yes there are absolutely ways to show intentionality uh in terms of uh parental rights um one procedure that exists in oregon uh is the ability to uh essentially find someone to be the equivalent of a parent. Um, these are often called third-party parental rights. It's a mm -hmm. very high bar to reach. You need to essentially prove that you have been a parental yeah. person to the same extent as their biological parents. Providing food, shelter, nurturing, you know, parent stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's not just like your, your roommate could do it and they said it that way for that reason. It's originally intended for use by like grandparents helping to fill in, right. but it's, it's traditionally called grandparents' rights. Um, but it can really be used by a third person who has assumed some of the uh, uh, parental role or is, or is also acting as a parent to this child. Um, and, and through that, they could uh, uh, interplead, which is the legal word to mean uh, inject themselves into a court case that doesn't initially have anything to do with them. Mm -hmm. um, and they could say, well, actually, I have something to do with it. And I have the, the requisite um, criteria for, for being this child's um, uh, third party caregiver. And, and on the front, end, you can even um, and you can plan for this. Um, while it isn't a contract necessarily, uh, something that uh, I've advised has been a written statement signed by all the parties that's more of a statement of intention. Like, we intend for this person, even though they are not the biological parent to our children, to have this parental role. So that if it comes to a point where your parental rights are ever in question, you can come back with this document and say, this was intended from years before that I would fill mm -hmm. this role. I have filled this role. Please respect that law. <laughs> and I would say probably get that notarized or something like that as well. Notarization couldn't hurt, um, but I think so long as you had it signed by everybody involved and dated, right. uh, then you'd be solid. Cool, cool. Um, all right, so uh, first of all, I want to see if there's um, anything that I've missed, but first maybe um, what are some recent or maybe like not, not necessarily even recent, but just since you started uh, working with polyamorous families, what has been like a real aha moment? Like, or, or maybe a story, a particular story where you really helped a polycule out and like discovered this, this new, I don't know, legal technique that was just able to kind of get them in there, get what they needed you know, in a, in a non-traditional way. Hmm. I like uh, stories. Yeah. Well, I have found that drafting, um, wills for people who want to make sure that 
their uh, uh, that all the members of their polycule are um, in, you know ensure to have some uh, to receive something through the will. Um, mm -hmm. th that doing so uh, is so satisfying because they we have the conversation where they're saying you know our families we know that if we didn't put this into a will our families would never uh, allow our third or fourth or other partner to have any part of our estate and would deprive them of things that they had contributed to. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, I like using the law to stick it to those people who are trying to uh, um, uh, step on these people's, what I see is like valid rights and ownership and, and like entitlement to this person's, affairs in life. If, if, if the three of us are all in a polycule together and, and two of us pass, I would want to make sure that the, the, the person who remained was, was getting the things that I had always intended to leave them. Right. But the operation of law, which happens if you don't have a will, wouldn't get. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think estate planning is, is one of the most um, fulfilling parts of it. Because like, like we've said so many times, there's not much you can do on the back end of a relationship. There's nothing good is really going to happen. Right. Um, most people who come to us have not planned ahead uh, if they're dissolving an informal relationship. And because of that, uh, what we end up having to do is either tell harsh truths or try and help them negotiate a way out. Right. But with estate planning, we're able to really... Um, like do that front end stuff. Uh, talk, actually talk with people when they're positive with each other and want to find a way that everything works for them. Uh, it, uh, it's definitely the brighter side of all this. I was on a phone call once and I was talking with the entire polycule and listening to them interact with each other as they considered the issues at hand uh, in, a, in an estate planning sense, um, was so beautiful. They really loved each other. And you could hear it, and you could hear it between all of them together uh, as they considered what to do with the property they owned, mm -hmm. what to do about this and that and their particulars. And, and they were so, um, you know, people when they talk to attorneys are already really vulnerable, but hearing that vulnerability from these people who are so deeply in love and, and, and have something very special. It was very heartening. I, I, um, I, I felt honored to be a part of that part, the process for them and, and to ensure that they, you know, were taking care of each other. That felt really good. And that's who is going to be when you're able to address guardianships, like you mentioned mm -hmm. before, uh, because frequently a guardianship doesn't really come into question unless parents are uh, either uh, not fit to be parents or unless there's a situation like one of them passes away and wants to make sure that this person who's been in their life and been a parent to their child is going to continue to be a parent to their child. And under the vanilla version of the law, that child is probably going to go to their grandparents. Right. But if you name a guardian in your will, that child is probably going to end up with that guardian. Nice. Good to know. So my my biggest takeaways from our conversation here today is uh, one, plan ahead, right? Anytime, uh, I guess this is two, anytime that there are major life changes, 
in in our polycules, make sure that we have some documentation for our intentions, uh, the things that we want to do, some contract in place. Uh, if you're in Oregon, specifically Portland, get in contact with Nate and Steve over here because they'll definitely help you out. Um, did I miss anything? Is there any any last uh, final words, final tips, advice that uh, people should consider when they're to protect themselves, especially? <laughs> If you're not in Portland, Oregon, find the most liberal and open-minded attorney that you think you could find and talk to them. I, I, you know, because every state is different, and so what we're saying might apply here, but not there. And there are definitely people who uh, uh, respect and, and honor these kinds of relationships throughout the country, and you should find an attorney who's able to help you. They're everywhere. Yeah, and and I think really hammering that it is so much dependent on state law. And we've talked about some procedures that are uh, distinctly Oregonian today. Right. Don't know if those exist in other states. I imagine in some bluer ones they would, but hmm. in, your, in your redder ones, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> got it, got it. And uh, the very last thing before we head out, if somebody does need your help, if somebody does want to talk to you, um, even if they're not in Oregon, maybe you guys can help them with a referral or anything like that. Uh, what's the best way for someone to get in touch with you? Well, our website is uh, scrolling at the bottom of the screen right now and uh, probably uh, submitting a, uh, a uh, like submission request. A submission request, yeah. <laughs> uh, write down your message, say who you are, say your contact info. We'll get it and we'll respond. Refer to this podcast so that we uh, we are better primed to know uh, who we're talking to and we'd be happy to talk to you. Perfect. And that website for uh, our listening audience on the podcast is mastandunolaw.com. That's M-A-S-T-A-N-D-U-N-O-Law.com. All righty. Gentlemen, thank you again so much for uh, spending some of your day with me. I really appreciate uh, your time and, you know, that little lesson. I mean, it, it's it's so small, but so important. Everybody listening, plan ahead, plan ahead, plan ahead. When you've got these major life changes, when you're planning for uh, end of life, you know, anything like that, make sure you've got some awesome poly-friendly lawyers to help you out. All right. Thanks again, gentlemen. Thanks so much, James. And thank you, as always, to our live audience for tuning in today. As a reminder, when we're live, you get no commercial interruptions, but the same can't be said for those podcast downloads. So if you want to avoid the commercial interruptions, be sure to catch us live Monday through Wednesday at 2.30 Pacific time, or sign up for Patreon where you get our commercial-free RSS feed and support the show. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube and wherever it is that you download your podcast. And if you haven't already, please leave us a review we really appreciate it. Thanks again, gentlemen. Thank you again to our awesome audience. And as always, have a nice day. Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com slash 